Today's episode is sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is where people just like you get together every week to help each other with issues. Let's face it, issues are hard, so why start from square one when somebody can tell you what they've done with a similar issue? If this sounds like something that's interesting to you, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. My name is Trace Blockmore, the host of this amazing water treatment podcast. Folks, I can't tell you how much I enjoy being the host of this podcast, and that's all because you tune in each and every week to listen to this podcast. So thank you for that. So many things going on. Number one, I am going to mention that today, on January 26, my lovely bride, Stacy, was born. So happy birthday, Stacy. I did not forget. I have got an amazing gift for you, and I'm going to make sure that you have an amazing day as well. So it's my hope that all of those industrial water treaters out there that have spouses, make sure you are taking care of your spouse, especially on their special day, because goodness knows they take care of us. Think of all the stories that they listen to about our day that are oh so interesting when we're telling them to each other but maybe not so much outside, but I have no doubt that they listen just like it is the best story that they have ever heard. So make sure you celebrate your special person. And once again, happy birthday to Stacy Blackmore. I can't tell you how many things she motivates me to do. Nation, I hope that you have decided that this year was going to be the year that you got some sort of certification. And in the industrial water treatment industry, there are so many certifications out there. We're going to talk about one today during the interview. But before we get there, one that I love to promote is the Certified Water Technologist designation. The Certified Water Technologist designation is the highest designation in the industry of industrial water that I practice. And I am so proud to hold that designation. And I know so many people that have received their CWT. And I will tell you, when you get a designation like that, it does something for your confidence. It just makes you feel like you belong in the seat that you were in and whoever you are speaking with, it just gives you more weight because you have that designation behind your name. Now, I know for a fact that there are so many people out there that could pass the Certified Water Technologist examination, but they lack the confidence to sign up for the exam. So I want you to get my free gift to you by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. There is a free course where I go over the CWT handbook and help you with everything that you need to know about becoming a certified water technologist. I go over the 10 example questions and give you a look inside the paid for course that we also have available where I logically go through each one of those 10 problems and allow you to know the process that I go through to try to discern which is the best answer. I go through some logic examples. I also go through some technical examples and I share with you places that you can go to to learn more about the information that maybe you need to bolster up on. That program is my gift to you because I know there are so many potential CWTs out there and you know that our mission here on this podcast is to raise the bar in the water treatment industry one water treater at a time and when you get a certification like the Certified Water Technologist designation, that means that you are a step above. That means that you are doing more than what's required 
of you, and that is helping the industry. So please look at that free course. And if you want more than that free course, we've got a paid course where I've created a 100-question practice exam where you will have questions that will be similar to the topics you will be tested to on the CWT. There's water softener questions on there. There's chemistry questions on there. There are, of course, math questions on there. So we gave you a sampling of all of that, and then there's a video for each one of those questions where you can see how I get the correct answer. And I also go through logic techniques and lots of little things that you can do to improve your chances of selecting a right answer, even if you don't know what the right answer is. So all sorts of standardized test techniques that I've learned over my lifetime, I share with you. And we've gotten some great feedback where people said that those things really work. So let me know what you think, but all that's going to be available by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Well, Nation, as we have become used to, our friend James McDonald has a brand new installment, Drop by Drop. Welcome to Drop by Drop with James, the podcast segment where we wonder, explore, Think about, imagine, and learn industrial water treatment, you guessed it, drop by drop, together. In today's episode, I have a challenge for you. Challenge accepted. My challenge is to test for phosphate in your makeup waters. You may be surprised by what you find. Municipalities frequently add phosphate-based products for corrosion, scale, and staining control. Unknown sources of phosphate can certainly throw a boiler or cooling tire program out of control. Start with the orthophosphate test. If polyphosphates are used, you may need to run a digestion procedure or have your lab do it. Lastly, calling your municipality to ask if they use phosphate-based products in their water may actually be the first place to start. Don't let an unknown phosphate source throw your water treatment program out of control. I'm James McDonald, and I want to encourage you to be like water by forming bonds with those around you, dissolving new knowledge, and making worthy ripples, drop by drop. Thank you, James. You know, Nation, I mentioned on the very last episode of last year that I got out of the habit because it's just not good for me to constantly look at the ratings that we get on each and every podcast. Now, the great team here at Scaling Up H2O, they look at that and they figure out how we make sure we have the best programming. And they just tell me that information. But I was finding my self-worth and ratings when I first started doing this podcast. And I realized that that wasn't the best thing to do. Well, one of the things that we look at is we do a lot of social media posts. We want you to get excited about being in this industry and letting you know about all the things that are going on within this industry. Well, one of the posts that got one of the highest ratings or the highest views was a airport picture that James McDonald took of he and I together. Actually, it was Tom Tenney that took that picture. And Tom Tenney, I think, was episode number three. Uh, but he snapped a picture of us. We both posted that on our LinkedIn and I want to say we got something over 7,000 views on that. So there is no doubt that the world, the Scaling Up Nation, loves James McDonald. So James, thank you for always putting so much into the Scaling Up H2O podcast and making sure that we get smarter each and every episode with all the challenges that you provide for us than you've been providing for us over the years. Scaling Up Nation, let's go ahead and go to our interview, which I know you are going to enjoy. My lab partner today is Christoph Lohr, professional engineer and vice president of technical services and research for IATMO. Christoph, how are you? I'm doing well, Trace. Thank you so much for having me on here. And thanks for being on our show, I think a month or two ago. 
Yeah, that was a, an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm doing uh, more guest spots on podcasts as they develop around water and in our industry. And that just delights me because there weren't that many podcasts within this space when I started seven years ago. Well, and that was uh, what, you know, what in many respects, the podcast we started at Atmo was in, in part a inspiration, you know, from, from your podcast. Actually, yours was one of the very first podcasts that I ever subscribed to as I was trying to learn as much as I could about especially water quality and, and, and in my development as a professional engineer. So I am very tickled to be here. So thank you so much again for the opportunity to join you and, and talk. Well, the, the pleasure is ours. And thank you for sharing that with me. I've shared on the podcast many times. I'm just speaking behind this microphone. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I never know if anybody's going to listen to the episodes that we are recording. And to hear that uh, people are not only listening, they're actually doing something with the episodes. That makes it all worthwhile. So thanks for sharing that with me. Definitely, definitely. So I gave a brief introduction about your title, but tell us a little bit more about Christoph. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, where when you think about life journeys and, and going from here to there, thinking about where I was over a decade ago and, and where I'm at now, I feel very humbled, feel very uh, fortunate and very blessed uh, to, to be doing the work I'm doing now. But, uh, you know, I guess for, for your listeners, you know, if they haven't met me or talked with me before, which I hope to at some point. Uh, the, the journey really started when I graduated uh, from the Virginia Military Institute in 2008. And I was looking at one of two pathways. One was either to go into nuclear power uh, or the other wasn't to go into engineering consulting. And ultimately, I decided to go the engineering consulting route. And so I moved to the Midwest, actually uh, the Quad Cities, right on the border between Illinois and Iowa in May, June of 2008. And, and really started my career as a mechanical design professional that was doing both HVAC and plumbing. About three years later, I had ended up moving to Phoenix. And when I was in Phoenix, that's really where I made that switch to piping and plumbing systems. I became a piping engineer. And that's when I got my, my PE, my professional engineering licensure in Arizona, which is the first of now eight states that I have my engineering licensure in. And it was there in, in Phoenix when I first started where I started working on healthcare and laboratories, which from a plumbing standpoint are probably the most complex buildings because you don't just have water and waste. You have medical gases or lab gases. You have purified water systems. You have natural gas systems. And the number of systems that a, a plumbing engineer or a piping engineer would do in a healthcare or laboratory facility it's just, it's so great. And so that's where I really started this whole process of water systems and, and ultimately ended up working for an engineering firm, uh, Henderson Engineers. And it was right around the same time that I got, I had kind of worked my way into Aspian and started doing some professional speaking. I'd been involved in Toastmasters earlier in my career. And that speaking ability and then just my general curiosity got me into, as a good friend and colleague of mine, uh, Gary Klein says, got me into hot water. And so I, I really have focused a lot of my career on hot water systems, but also in general, domestic water systems. And it was right around 2015, I started hearing about this whole thing called Legionnaire's disease and Legionella pneumophila. And the 2016 Aspie Expo came to Phoenix by chance. Uh, sometimes it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And by that point, I had been involved with the local chapter. I was able to go for free to the expo. And during that expo, there was about five sessions of Legionnaire's disease. And I went to all five sessions. You know, I basically didn't do anything else other than Legionella pneumophila study, you know, trying to understand what, what causes impacts on the systems. And uh, there was this name, Dr. Janet Stout, that kept coming up in these conversations and these articles. And so I had some questions about some supplemental disinfection. And so, uh, and I noticed her name was at the top of a few of these research articles. And so I cold called her and I kept, you know, kind of do a few cold calls and finally got her on the phone. And I think she was really bemused that uh, the first time that here's this young engineer that just wants to learn more and was just wanting to go right to the source. And that really was kind of what put me, I think, on the on the map was that that curiosity. Um, the next year, about two years later, uh, in 2018, I went and was a speaker at the Legionnaires Disease Conference in Legionella Conference to, uh, in Baltimore. I was invited to speak and uh, was invited to come back in 2019. And I think what made me unique in the in the realm of water quality was here was a, a professional engineer, you know, somebody that had a mechanical engineering uh, degree and license that focused on plumbing systems. That was one. But this focus that I had on waterborne pathogens and trying to understand water quality, um, again, I'm not going to claim I'm an expert in it, but I think I, I've come to understand a fair amount of it. And that was really between that and my public speaking abilities was what kind of put me on the map. And from there, uh, you know, I was ended up being recruited by IATMO 
And the rest is kind of history. I've been with Diatmo now for three years. Actually, to, uh, you know, we're recording on here at the beginning of November, so I'm celebrating three years on November 2nd. And uh, it's been a wonderful three years. It's a great organization, really wonderful people. And uh, now I get to do even more of what I love, which is you know, trying to focus on, on improving public health and safety uh, you know, for, for the country uh, and for the world. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with IATMO. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. So IATMO is short for the International Association of Plumbing and Mechanical Officials. We are an almost 100-year-old organization. Uh, we were founded in 1926, so about three years from now we'll be celebrating 100 years. And really the, the purpose of IATMO has been to develop codes and standards and third-party certifications for the plumbing and mechanical industries. We tend to focus on plumbing. That is our strength. And you know, as a result, you know, we, um, you know, we have now worked. Uh, we acquired ASSE International, I think, about a decade ago. And so we've really harmonized a lot of the standard creation products. You know, if you ever see like the ASSE 1017 or 1070 mixing valves or the listings for like uh, ASSE uh, 1087 for RO systems, all those come through IATMO. And it's, we're a nonprofit trade uh, 501c6, and we have membership. And those members, uh, along with stakeholders and, and, uh, and industry, we use an ANSI-accredited process to develop standards and codes. And all of that has just been you know, with, a, with a focus and, and a dedication towards public health and safety uh, in the realm of plumbing and mechanical systems. You know, HVAC systems often is what we talk about. Um, but you know, we do well more, much more than plumbing, but that has definitely been the bread and butter for, for almost 100 years. Who are generally your members? Uh, we really have members that are all over the map. You know, I would say, you know, the most traditional members are the plan reviewer and plan inspectors for plumbing and mechanical systems. However, we also have design professionals, we have water treaters, we have manufacturers, um, basically anybody that touches any part of the plumbing or mechanical system in the building has, has been is members at this point. Um, and we have a really, really wide array of members. And uh, really, that's been, I think, one of our strengths is we have really, really intelligent, really, really smart really, really insightful members that, that help provide and lend their, their expertise with us uh, through our code standards and product development. Talking about standards, the one our listeners is probably most familiar with is the ASSE 12,080. Can you talk a bit on about that? Yeah, sure. So the ASSE 12,080 is a credential. So we do product standards and we also do, I should have mentioned, credentialing standards. And so the one that I started with was actually the ASSC 6020, which was for medical gas. It was a medical gas inspector. There's also ones for installers and verifiers uh, and maintenance personnel, and, and now along with uh, design professionals at the, as of the, the last year or two. But the ASSC 12000 series, uh, specifically the ASSC 12080, is for the Legionella Risk Mitigation Specialist. And really, when you start looking at the plumbing industry as a whole, because it's fragmented, because there's a lot of different steps in designing and installing a plumbing system in a building, credentials have been one of the most important ways to, you know, to help promote public health and safety and prevent you know, some kind of disease or dismemberment or death uh, in the event of plumbing systems. And so the 12,080 specifically is uh, the Legionella Risk Mitigation Specialist. And so it provides a pretty broad overview of the different steps and the different components and contributing factors uh, and what testing requirements are needed to help prevent Legionella pneumophila in buildings and an outbreak of Legionnaires disease. And so I took that class. That's actually one of my certifications. And it, I, what I loved about it was every single different entity that kind of touches a water management program was had little sections. And so I think the true benefit of a certification like that is it gets everyone speaking the same language which is so challenging when you have you know, plumbing experts and microbiologists and water treaters and, and others. This kind of certification, when I looked at the plumbing section, it was very simplistic. But when I started going to the testing and the water treatment side, I felt like, okay, here's some really good information that, that now I can better speak the language of, of a water treater or a microbiologist. And I think that's the real strength in this is it gets everybody on the same page. You know, what's, what's interesting to note Trace is that when you look at medical gas systems, we've had credentials, the ASSC 6000 series, for a number of years. And when you look at medical gas systems, we have basically completely eliminated death from medical gas systems because of the installer having the right credential for this. You know, you can't even install a medical gas system in the US without a 6010. Uh, that is a requirement by NFPA 99 for code. Uh, and that system has to have a third party validation in the form of an inspector and verifier. And I think 
when you look at dentistry, which has exempted itself from these requirements from NFPA 99 and the ASSC 6000 series, every year you have medical gas deaths or dismemberments, especially of toddlers uh, in American dental facilities. So I think of this in, in the same way that I think of you know, for water systems, you know, we know we have a problem with Legionnaire's disease, and that's one of many microbes. If we can get the right credentials and get everybody talking the same language, I think we can make a lot of really good things happen to helping prevent disease of some kind and, and really, again, promoting public health and safety, which is what it's all about. So in ensuring that we're all speaking the same language, I have heard it pronounced 12,080. I've heard it pronounced 12080 and everything <laughs> in between. What is the official way to call IATMO credentials? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I think it's typically the 12,000 series because um, we call it the 6,000 series. Uh, that's the one I most come with. I don't know if there's an official or right or wrong way. I think the most important thing is that people get the credential. If they want to you know, say it one way or the other, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I think it's more important about getting the information and having it than it is uh, about the right way. But I think, I think typically what I've seen is like 12,000 series or 6,000 series. You know, it's that thousand moniker after the first letters. Well, that's what I've been saying. So we're going to make it official right here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. The correct way to say that is 12,080. I love it. I'm, I'm all on board with that. So uh, in addition to all the things you do with IATMO, you also have a podcast. I was, I was very humbled that you invited me to be on that podcast. I'm curious, why did you start that journey and what has that journey been like for you? Well, that's that's a that's a wonderful question, Trace. And, and I have to say, I was humbled to have you on the podcast. You know, it's it's wonderful when you have these podcasts and people that you listen to for years, and you reach out and ask them. And, and there's always this little bit like, you know, there's no need that they have to do this, taking time out of their busy day to join us on these on these journey. And and I was so thankful for 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 you to be on there and really share a lot of wonderful expertise and insights. You know, in many respects, what we did at IATMA, what we saw was there was a need for us to start a podcast, in part because even though much of our membership tends to be on the technical side, really a lot of our, you know, some of our, some of the very important work that we do, and you can even make an argument, some of the most important work we do is on the policy side. And especially because codes and standards are adopted by jurisdictions, um, there is a policy element to, you know, to water, to plumbing uh, and other systems. And so what we wanted to do with the podcast was to help close that gap. Now, at the same time, you know, when you talk to an engineer, we like to know what the big picture impact is of, of, of making a decision and why these decisions are made. I think, you know, especially as an engineer, you're, you're trained to solve problems, but you're also trained to ask a lot of questions because uh, you want to get it really right. You want to be really detailed. And so what we found is we've had a lot of success uh, from the podcast. You know, now we have a YouTube channel that has the podcast episodes in video format, along with social media posts that we take some of the highlights from the podcast. And all of these things that we're doing now kind of help show the importance, uh, especially of plumbing systems and, and that impact on making public health a priority and, and what that impact plumbing systems have on that. So uh, in many respects, we try to get some really important questions out there. Like our first episode was uh, with Dr. Janet Stout and Marianne Dickinson, who at the time uh, was the executive director for the Alliance for Water Efficiency. And this question was, what is the nexus between safety and sustainability? Because oftentimes it seems like when it comes to water, we've chosen one or the other. It's actually the same theme for this year's Emerging Water Technology Symposium, which is going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona, May 14th and 15th, where we're going to be taking a much deeper dive over two days on this question. But what the podcast has allowed us to do is to take on these big questions, to get groups of people on or individuals on. And we've changed the format over the years to try to get the best information, the best medium. Um, so you know, we are experimenting a little bit, which is fun. But um, I think we've kind of settled into a pretty good niche. And, and the, the guests that we've had on have just had really, really great stories and, and insights that they've shared with us. And that's really been our purpose with the podcast is to be a resource, another resource, you know, not just to policymakers, but also to the industry. You mentioned Janet Stout, and Dr. Stout's been on this podcast numerous times, and she just has an amazing ability to talk about waterborne pathogens in a very exciting and entertaining way. Definitely, definitely. Well, and that was who I took the ASSC 12,080 class with. And, you know, I have learned so much from her over the years. And I just, you know, she was always very gracious, you know, with, with me, especially when I was a, a, a little bit younger, uh, less gray-haired engineer. 
that was just trying to figure out this whole thing. And in, in many respects, she always made, you know, either gave me a recommendation of who to talk to or provide some insight or something to chew on, um, but always did so in a really friendly way. So yeah, she's, I was going to say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dr. Janet Stout and, and just really always appreciative of everything she's done for me in my career. Let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about plumbing code. And most of the audience within the Scaling Up Nation are industrial water treaters. And by the time we treat a system, everything's already built. We got to deal with what is given to us. What should we know about plumbing code? And I'm kind of curious, as that gets changed, as that becomes part of law, regulations, how should we be getting involved? So what, what should the water treater know about the plumbing code? That is a, that is a fantastic question, Trace. And I'm, I'm really glad you know, we're getting a chance to discuss that here because we need, the plumbing industry needs industrial water treaters and industrial water treaters needs the plumbing industry. Uh, there's a really symbiotic relationship there between the two. And I think what has happened for so many years is water quality from a plumbing industry professional perspective water quality was seen as everything up to the water meter and everything downstream was seen as, as you know, plumbing systems. And I think especially in 2015, when ASHRAE 188 came out, it really changed the dynamic because now all of a sudden we really had to start worrying about water quality in the built environment. And during this whole time, I think industrial water treaters have been doing stuff in the built environment, but we didn't really connect all the dots. And so when I look at plumbing codes, and this was well before I joined IATMO, in 2021, uh, the Uniform Plumbing Code is the plumbing code that IATMO produces. It's adopted in just about half the U.S., maybe a little bit less than half the U.S. That particular plumbing code um, follows an ANSI accredited process. And what's beautiful about the ANSI accredited process is every group, um, so you manufacture special experts, which is what I think a water industrial uh, treatment per- profession would fall under, and plant inspectors, installers, you know, general interest categories. Each group has a maximum amount of of representation on this technical committee, which is usually about 25. And no group has more, no interest group has more than, I think uh, for the plumbing code, it's 33% of the voting. So it's a balanced technical body. The real technical expertise shines through. And it's not just something where one group has all the say, but it's something where everybody has an equal vote. And when you look at the plumbing codes, and especially the uniform plumbing code, what you'll notice is we're starting to broach into the subject more and more of water treatment. So when you look at the 2021 UPC, there was Appendix N, uh, as in November, that was added, which looked at Legionella growth potential and scald temperatures. And what you notice is in our effort to pr- you know, prevent scalding, we've also created some conditions that bacteria like to grow. And in essence, bacteria like the same temperatures we do. When you start looking at some of the other documents that have come out and other co-proposals, like at Chapter 6, there's, there's a co-proposal about disinfection of water mains, uh, but also now on terms of standards to follow for commercial and residential water treatment systems and what to follow for product listings. These are really important because as an engineer, when you're going through and putting together design, you're not doing just piping. You're putting components and piping all together. And so what helps expedite the process during construction is when you have a standard you're listed to, because you can really just look for that standard as part of the validation process that the products you specified are getting into the building. And that standardization really harmonizes what the whole industry is doing. My sense is that when we start talking about water quality, um, especially because we spend a lot of time at IATMO, you know, doing product standards, and there's some new ones like ASSE, LEC, 2011, Dash 2021. This is one for Legionella filters that is new on on the market, and so this is one that that you know we have uh, we already have our, I think our uh, first manufacturer that's tested to this, but it's, it's a validation that these products do what they say. And so what I would say is, as this topic of water treatment, water filtration, dealing with the chemistry inside water chemistry inside the built environment increases that need, especially from from you know the ASHRAE 188 really kind of pushing that to the forefront. We're going to need to be more proactive. And so I think there's a wonderful opportunity for water treaters to engage with the Uniform Plumbing Code process, which starts, uh, we have a call for proposals through January 12th of 2024. Uh, and then in May of 2024, I think it's the 6th through the 8th, is when the Uniform Plumbing Code Technical Committee meeting will meet, and they're going to start voting on these proposals. And, and that's really the first step where the process starts for the 2027 Uniform Plumbing Code release that's going to occur, you know, uh, more likely than not, I think sometime uh, mid to late 2026. 
And then that's where you can have that impact. And so we've looked at a lot of different things. We can touch maybe on some of them a little bit later, but but there's a lot of different code-ready language and ideas that have circulated that that we're working on in addition to the codes. And I think this topic of water quality and plumbing is going to be a really important one moving forward. Obviously, when you're writing these codes, you are writing them so they can be adopted into legislature. What is that process like if your municipality says, this is the code that we want to adopt, or, or maybe in the case of ASHRAE's 188, we want to take sections of this like New York did? Describe that process, if you would. So it usually comes down to proponents uh, of some kind that will you know, go to the, to the policymakers and say, hey, this would be a really good, good idea to accept. Sometimes it's a little bit more streamlined because there may be a plumbing board um, that's involved. And in essence, you know, you'll get up and down votes on the, on the plumbing code. Usually right now, I think the, the U.S. has been pretty well settled um, you know, on which state wants which plumbing code. But the process is, is in essence, you know, that this board or the, the city council or, or state legislature will vote on the code and, um, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and officially adopt a code. And then once it gets adopted, you know, there's various ways. Some of them will do a statewide adoption. Uh, Arizona gets really confusing because every city does their own adoption, which as an engineer drives you nuts. But anywhere in between there, and then once it gets adopted, it's official. Now, when it comes to the plumbing codes, you know, let's say the UPC, for example, we have chapters one through 17. So if, if uh, a jurisdiction, you know, adopts the UPC, they just adopt chapters one through 17. We have also now uh, in the latest, uh, in the 2024 version of the Uniform Plumbing Code, we also have appendices, uh, A through, I think through S at this point. And those appendices are opt-in provisions. So if they want to have an additional requirement like Appendix N, for example, um, they have to specifically um, opt into that. They have to say, we're going to adopt this in addition to the UPC. But they're available in there um, because, as we know, water quality and water concerns vary region to region. I live in Phoenix. Water droughts are much more of a concern than where I grew up in Michigan, uh, even though droughts are kind of becoming a bigger concern no matter where you are. You know, water quality also changes. You know, when you start looking at the, 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 you know, the Northeast, you know, their chlorine levels tend to be much lower. But you come out here to Arizona and we're close to four parts per million you know, from the water distribution plant. So those water quality parameters, those, all these different things are changing. There's regional and local concerns. And so with plumbing being local concern, because water is a local concern, we really have made an effort to be customizable. And, and I would make the argument. And I think it's true that the Uniform Plumbing Code is the most customizable code out there. And it's just straight looking at the number of appendices we have. It provides so much variability for a jurisdiction to really tailor tailor make the plumbing code for their needs, um, with the realization that every jurisdiction has their own needs. You know, when it comes to water and sanitation, what are different considerations that the plumbing code gives when we're talking about either domestic water or utility water? So, generally speaking, the plumbing codes don't touch the utility side, and that's kind of I think that's kind of been the the line of demarcation for a number of years, uh, for decades, you know, if not 100 years plus. So really upstream of the water meters, the utility, downstream is plumbing. And even when you look at a set of plumbing plans uh, with, with, you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of plumbing plans I put together during my decade plus doing plumbing engineering, typically we would only show the water line five feet outside the building. You know, the site civil would show it to the water meter and then, you know, they would coordinate with, uh, with the utility. But from a plumbing angle, we would typically only look at about five feet outside the building and then everything inside. So when it comes to the rules on plumbing, you know, what we focus on, a lot of parts of design have been codified. And this is, I think, one of the biggest misnomers that people think about plumbing codes is that they're restrictive. We have to realize when it comes to plumbing design and installation, plumbing codes are more like a, a buffet of options than they are a, a restrictive methodology. And so you know, a thicker plumbing code book does not necessarily equate to more rules it just tells what's allowed because generally speaking, when it comes to the design professional, the, the registered engineer that's signing and sealing the documents and the installer, I can tell you from over a decade of doing this type of work is if it's not in the code book, they're not going to do it because of the concern of losing their engineering licensure, which has been decades, you know, a decade plus of effort to get or their contractor license. And so, you know, the beauty of the checks and balances we have with license, licensure in the U.S. when it comes to construction is that safety is the first thought uh, because there's personal responsibility element to this. But the negative, the flip side, because it's always a double-edged sword, is that new technologies then are slower to be adopted or utilized in the field unless you start getting codes and standards to specifically indicating them in the plumbing codes. 
and having standards to back it up. But especially the plumbing code, that is really, you know, it's a, it's a living, breathing document that goes under a change every three years. And it is so vital that, that you have those different pieces in there to allow for it. So one of the big ones is Appendix M, uh, as in mustache, which is the water demand calculator. And this was the first time in 80 years that we have gone back and sized domestic water systems in a new way. Before that, we used an 80-year-old methodology. Many of your listeners may have heard of it, uh, the Hunter's Curve. That still exists in the plumbing code because the water demand calculator only applies to residential, but but showing how to size water systems is, it has been an integral part to the plumbing codes. And that's any plumbing code in, in North America. And even if you start looking overseas, most, most of the plumbing design has been pretty well codified across the world. So obviously, if we over-design, you know, people probably think, okay, we're not going to have any demand issues because we have so much more water than we actually need. But we know through taking the course we did through IATMO that that causes biofilm and that causes stagnation. So I'm curious, when IATMO redesigned the water demand calculator, what considerations were given on things like stagnation and biofilm and dead legs and all of the things that we know create an area where Legionella can start to grow? Yes. No. And, and that's, that was, it was a high concern. I mean, the, the water demand calculator was meant to be a replacement for the hunter's curve. And, and that was done as part of the water efficiency and sanitation standard, otherwise known as we stand, which is the only standard that focuses on water efficiency while maintaining safety. A lot of times when standards have been developed, they focus on sustainability at the exclusion of safety, which has unfortunately created some problems when it comes to water age. Specifically, what I would point your listeners to is the NASM Consensus Report on the Management of Legionella Buildings, uh, which was released, I think, for public review in 2019 and then officially released in t- at the beginning of 2020. But that document in there, it says that low-flow fixtures shouldn't be used in healthcare facilities. And in part, that was because of that concern of, uh, concern of water age. And that concern of water age is there because when you look at how the, the domestic water system for a hospital is designed, and for every building in the U.S., it's still using that same 80-year-old methodology, which was developed by Dr. Roy Hunter in 1940 as part of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And that at that time was revolutionary, but he didn't have a computer. And in essence, he assumed that every building would operate, you know, worst case, with a line behind it, like a sports stadium at halftime. So congested use. We know that the only buildings that seem to really work like that are maybe theaters at intermission, sports stadiums at, you know, at halftime or, or intermission between periods, depending what, or innings between, depending on what your, your sport of choice is. Um, but really past that point, we don't have a lot of buildings that have those kind of lines, especially offices, schools, and healthcare facilities included. And so because if you look at the, how the water system was designed, whether it was 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or today, it's basically the same sizing methodology because it's assuming congested use. And that was where IATMO partnered with the University of Cincinnati and the American Society of Plumbing Engineers to create the water demand calculator. We were able to obtain data for residential occupancies. And with that data for residential occupancies, um, we were able to look and realize that that probability of simultaneous use, which not, was not based on congested use, but uncongested use, we were able to, to drastically reduce peak flow rates. Because when you size water systems, it's based on two criteria, peak flow rate and your pressure drop, uh, you know, which also includes your available pressure. So when you assume a more realistic probability of use, your peak flow rate reduces drastically, which when sizing pipes will mean that your pipe sizes reduce. For an example, if you looked at a 100-unit apartment complex, let's say, you know the peak flow rate for that building, you know with all the with all the bathrooms and everything, based on Hunter's curve, could end up being about 250 gpm. With the water demand calculator, what we uh, when you use the use the same number of fixtures, it drops down to 40 gpm. So that's the difference between a four-inch pipe and a two-inch pipe. Now, worth noting, that's an estimated peak flow rate. When you actually put an ultrasonic flow meter on and measure for you know a couple of weeks what the true peak flow rate is, it's more like 20. So we're still 2x in terms of peak flow rate, but a 2x factor is much better than like a 20x factor. And by reducing that pipe size, you're going to see improvements in water age. Your water age is going to decrease, so you're going to have less stagnation time. Your water is going to be delivered more faster, structural water waste. Uh, we did a report with Arup recently to kind of look at a couple hypothetical examples. All those things will end up being improved. So, um, you know, it's still hard to know because so much of plumbing research has been has been overlooked for 80 years. Really, once Dr. Roy Hunter died in 1945, all that research in essence ended and, and we haven't done too much until recently when NIST has really picked up the ball and started working on plumbing research in the last several years, which is a great kudos and testament to them, you know, continuing that research. So, 
we're really excited to, to see that that the amount of research happening in the industry right now is occurring and these important questions are being addressed. And IATMO has been at the forefront of that. Uh, again, we started this water demand calculator project 10 years ago plus and really saw that fruition back in 2018 for the first time. And, and we're continuing that research now where we're looking at commercial building sizing as well. So we're taking it from residential, single, and multifamily to commercial. And that's another wonderful opportunity for the industry to help. What is your prediction as far as waterborne pathogens go when people start utilizing this new calculator? So the thing with waterborne pathogens is there's no silver bullet. You know, when it comes to sustainability or safety, there's no silver bullet. It's going to take sort of an all of the above approach. That said, there are opportunities. And the water demand calculator, I think, is going to be one of these. So my sense is when you start looking at the hard numbers for, let's say, a multifamily unit, because that's what's available right now. I think that there's going to be a question for engineers in terms of liability, because many of them are going to be afraid at first to reduce pipe sizes. But there's this question of litigation on the back end, which is if you knowingly oversized it to the point that it was increasing water age, that's a risk perspective. And, and a lot of insurance providers are already starting to have exemptions for waterborne pathogens. So my sense is that the market is going to react, not necessarily because of any particular regulation, but because of litigation. And especially as the engineers understand that they need to do more in the realm of plumbing systems, which plumbing, I can tell you, having worked at a many MEP firms and having been in that industry for so long, plumbing is overlooked. It's really an afterthought in the realm of, of engineering. HVAC and electrical, you know, it, those two systems account for 80% of the costs in, uh, in most buildings. MEP systems. Um, when you start getting to healthcare, plumbing starts to get a little bit more of a greater chunk of it because of medical gas systems. But plumbing has been overlooked for a very, very long time. So the expertise now with that's needed because of ASHRAE 188 and, and the plumbing codes updating, the concern of litigation. I, I've wrote, written several articles about this on PM Engineer Magazine and, and would definitely refer your listeners to that because it's a trend that I think if, you, if you're paying attention, you'll see it. And I think some engineering firms may end up not be paying attention to it and could get caught up in some not ideal risk that they may not be prepared for. We already spoke about 12,080, and we know that that is the official way to say that now. What are some other credentials that uh, the Scaling Up Nation needs to be aware of so they can endeavor to get? So that's a great question, Trace. And, and I would say one of the first ones that comes to mind in the 12,000 series, the ASSE 12,061, which is Water Quality Program Certifications for Plumbers. That one and 12,060 water quality program certification for employers, these are documents that are really vital for the, the installers that are doing the work inside these facilities. And for water treaters to be aware of them, you know, that could be a great way for them to find the people that may be already be able to speak their language when it comes to waterborne pathogens. Other certifications uh, to be aware of it would be, I would say, ASPE's Certified Plumbing Design, CPD, uh, which is another credential that I have. Uh, that one's a really wonderful one because really at this time, there's no PE examination for plumbing. So most PEs, you know, like myself even, we had to take an exam, even either thermal fluid, which really doesn't touch much on plumbing principles, or HVAC and refrigeration. And I can tell you in the 80 questions I had to take, 40 in the morning and 40 in the afternoon, when I took my PE test over a decade ago now, I had one question that even got close to plumbing, and that was on fire protection. So there is a need for the industry to have a plumbing exam. But up until now, really what, what's available is the CPD because plumbing just has been kind of an afterthought. So I think, you know, those are the ones that come to my mind on the plumbing side. Uh, and, and it's not to say that the water treaters need to get it for themselves. I think, you know, maybe the 12,060 series would be a good one to, to look at, um, depending on what type of work they're wanting to do. But in general, you know, when they're part of a water management program, these would be wonderful certifications for for the water treaters to say, hey, we want to look for people with these credentials too, because they're going to be able to bring the knowledge needed and they have the requisite knowledge or have we can have a higher degree of confidence that they have the requisite knowledge to do the work that we're trying to get done here in this facility. So the one I think that everybody needs to aspire to get that listens to this podcast is the 12,080. Can you describe what that process is like, how you get credentialed and how you maintain that credential? Certainly. So the, the credential, it comes with a, if I recall correctly, a 32-hour class. And you can sign up. There's a few different providers. Um, obviously, IATMO, you know, we've partnered with Dr. Janet Stout. And we use our IATMO Learn 
platform to basically get everybody on the call, but it's about 32 hours of class and then a test after that point. You need to have, I believe it's an 80% correct out of the, the total number of questions. And if you get it, then you get credentialed. You're certified to ASSE 12,080. Then if I recall correctly, uh, it's about every three years you need to be recertified. So I have to retake that test, uh, although that part I think is a little bit more straightforward. You don't need all those hours of class time. Uh, and actually, I'm about to start that process because I'm about up for my renewal here uh, in 2024 for the 12,080. And so intent behind this is to make sure that you're continuing to show proficiency for these particular topics. And even engineering licensure has a certain number of CEU requirement to, to maintain your licensure with most states. So really, the, the process is about making sure that you have a certain level of expertise and a pretty high bar. I would say 80% is definitely you know, on the higher end for, for expertise or competence, showing what competence you have. And then it's, it's making sure you maintain that. Have there been any steps given towards uh, CEUs for requalifying after three years so somebody doesn't have to retake the examination? I don't think for the ASSC certifications, that's, that's a typical route. It's typically always a certification. And I think it just kind of comes in line that most of the time, that's just that, that's the, the kind of that process route for, the, for those particular certifications. It just depends. Engineers tend to do CEUs, but for uh, the ASSC series, I mean, even when you look at the 6,000 series, it's a retest. Um, like the 6020 that I had, it would be a retest. So we met, and I was familiar with your organization because of the work that you did in conjunction with the Association of Water Technologies. I'm curious, how does IATMO partner with other associations, and what are some of those associations? Oh, wonderful point. Uh, And I'm so glad you asked that, Trace, because really the partnerships, uh, that's a large part of my role. uh, And and we're always looking for new partnerships. So when I joined IATMO about three years ago, it actually came during one such partnership, which was with AWWA. uh, And that was to create the manual of practices for the safe closure and reopening of buildings. A little bit of a mouthful. But we worked with them uh, and got a number of plumbing industry and water quality industry experts, you know, in terms of that question of, you know, when, you sh- when a building gets vacated or uh, you have a wing of a healthcare facility that gets vacated, um, what should you be doing to keep it safe? Since then, that project has spun off into another one, uh, Construction Practices for Potable Water, which many of the same volunteers are on, but that's just an IATMO document. Another one, though, that we just had released for public review and finished was water quality for the plumbing industry professional. And that came from a relationship that we developed with ESPRI, uh, the Environmental Science Research and Policy Institute, and worked with Tim Bartrand, a really knowledgeable fellow. And and we worked collaboratively to create, in essence, uh, what is water quality? Uh, Because most plumbing industry professionals, whether you're an engineer, installer, plan reviewer, or otherwise, we don't deal with it. We don't touch on it. I had one college chemistry course, you know, my freshman year, and that was kind of it. Uh, most of our work tends to be on the hydraulics, you know, what makes it work, you know, what are the mechanics behind it, but not chemistry. And so our industry understanding more water quality parameters and what they do and what they mean was, we saw that there was a need for that in industry. And so, you know, we ended up working with, with Esprit to create this manual and that was released and went through public review. And that looks like that will likely become part of a package with that construction practices for potable water manual that we're, you know, that we're hoping to release here before the end of this year. Other organizations we worked with, I mentioned ASPE. You know, in part with my work at IATMO, I've, I've definitely been involved with ASPE, and one of them has been the Legionella Design Guide. Uh, there was a Legionella working group ASPE had initiated in 2019 before I joined IATMO, but that work continued all the way through uh, my employment by IATMO. And that is an ASPE document, but we work on other documents all across the industry where we provide our expertise. We got a lot of really wonderful experts, um, you know, on my team, and then also you know in our organization, and so. We regularly liaise with organizations like ASPE or PMI or uh, NFPA or others you know, to help share what we know and, and to try to make sure that codes and standards are correlated and that they're cohesive and that they work together. So you know, ASPE and others, that's some of the, the different organizations we've worked with. And you know, when it comes to AWT and others, you know, we would most welcome the opportunity to collaborate uh, with organizations like that because there's a need and uh, would absolutely love to have that expertise shared you know, during, through the code proposal process, through the code meeting process, through the creation of manuals, through public review and, and comments that can be provided to manuals and, and codes. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity and we definitely encourage your listeners to, to reach out and, and happy to put them in touch with the right mechanism to, to getting their voices heard. We'll make sure to put your contact information on the show notes page. If somebody wants to learn more about IATMO, where should they go? They should go to IATMO, I-A-P-M-O.org. Uh, and that is our, our main webpage. 
Another spot for people to go to if they want to see some of the policy implications would be uniformcodes.org. That's uniformcodes.org. And that will well, show you some of the, the policy components of it. I have a couple articles on there. Uh, I did one on healthcare acquired infections and the economic cost. Um, and looking at, you know, how small the cost for plumbing is on a healthcare facility, you know, which is typically probably 5% or less of budget and the potential to have, you know, 30% plus impact on healthcare acquired infections, you know, just from the water systems alone uh, kind of shows that if we do a little bit more on the plumbing systems and maybe we spend a little bit more there, that the operations of a healthcare facility can be improved much more drastically. Let's give a plug for your podcast. Where can people find that? Uh, they can go to the Atma webpage, but if you Google uh, the Authority Podcast Plumbing and Mechanical, you can find right there the first search result. Um, but we put out episodes through Buzzsprout, so that gets to Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, and others. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel that Atma has that that you know now we're now including podcast episodes, the video and audio format uh, on there as well. But uh, the Atma webpage has it as well. But if you, uh, if you just Google it or Bing it, you know, whatever your search platform of choice is, uh, you'll be able to find it. It's the first search result. So it's the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. We'll try to put a link on the show notes page for that as well so people can find it on their favorite podcast platform. Well, I've got a few lightning round questions for you if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go for it. All right. If you had the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self as your first day as an engineer, what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> Wonderful question. And the first advice I would give uh, myself is go to plumbing. I think you know, early in my career, probably the first three years, unfortunately, maybe I didn't have the best attitude about doing plumbing design, but I would talk to them and say, look, this is where the opportunity lies. This is where you want to really focus your effort. Uh, and even though early in my career, I was kind of doing that initially, First, you know, hearing some of the cool stuff my fellow colleagues uh, were doing from VMI, my classmates, I was a little bit like, man, this is what I'm doing. Um, but really, it's turned into one of the greatest blessings. I've really found my niche, and I feel really fortunate to be doing the work I do every day. So I would say lean into plumbing. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful opportunity and room for growth there. Love it. What would you say your superpower is? <laughs> you know, I would say my superpower is that my... Worry about being embarrassed is very low. Um, I don't mind asking questions, and I'm not worried about looking dumb if I ask a question. And I think that served me really well in my career um, because ultimately that's you know where I cold called Dr. Jan Stout and and asked her questions. I wasn't worried about hearing no, and I think that's really served me well because I, I've been able to get a lot more information more quickly. I think by being willing to sort of pop my head up and say, "Hey, what does this mean? Is this correct?" And, and even going out to when I do public speeches, you know, I always tell people, I know about this much, you know, with my hands about an inch apart. You all know collectively as I stretch my hands out all the way, you know, as far as they go, that's how much you all know. So I'm going to share what little I know, and I'm hoping to learn from you all too. Uh, and so I think that recognition of that there's always more to learn, um, that I'm, I'm hungry for it, and that I'm always asking questions without necessarily worrying about being looking like the, the silly one in the room. I think that's really been really helpful for me as, as, far, as part of my superpower for my career. What are the last few books that you've read? So I would say there's a few of them that are really good. Um, from a water industry book, uh, the, the most recent one I read was The Three Ages of Water. That was really well done. That talks sort of about what, how we've looked at water in the past and, in, and now and in the future. It's just a really wonderful water plumbing book. Another one that I recently read was The Crux by Richard Rumelt, uh, which talks about strategy. And I have always tended to look at systems, um, you know, strategy and, and, and putting things together as a whole, as opposed to the sum of the parts. And, and that is probably one of the best books on how to formulate good strategy. And I think that's a must read because if you can formulate a good strategy, you should also be able to formulate a good system and think through what the unintended consequences are. As far as third book, I would have to say it was Let There Be Water by Seth Siegel. And that book was a really wonderful one. Um, also another water book. But in that book, he talked about how uh, Israel, you know, a desert nation, has really been smart about finding ways to, to, to maximize their amount of water available, their supplies, while reducing their demand on water. And that came through water reuse through smarter distribution systems. Uh, and they really took a, a holistic look at how to do water in that, in that country. And so that's a really good one that I would recommend as well. Really enjoyed that one and, and have listened to a number of podcasts on that. When Hollywood listens to this podcast episode and they decide to write a movie about your life, who do you want playing Christoph? 
Oh, jeez, that's a tough one. Um, so when it comes to playing me, uh, I would say, I mean, I, I immigrated from Germany when I was young. I was three years old when I immigrated to the U.S. And so I'm very much uh, your, I guess, prototypical, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed German. So it would be tough. I mean, if you're trying to do my younger life, I don't know many of the young actors there. But uh, in, uh, I guess if it was when I'm older, um, I would have to say it could be kind of cool to have Brad Pitt. Uh, All right. uh, doing, uh, doing one. Uh, I always, I always enjoyed his movies quite a bit. Uh, so that would maybe be the one I would pick. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on the Scaling Up podcast and uh, sharing all about IAPMO and opening our eyes to some things that I think a lot of our listeners had not considered before. Excellent. Well, Trace, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. I uh, really appreciate the time and, and just I've always enjoyed your podcast. So really excited to have been part of one. Christoph, thanks again for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, I want to say a few things about IATMO. And if you didn't know, IATMO stands for the International Association of Plumbing and Mechanical Officials. And I maybe have heard about IATMO, but I didn't meet anybody from IATMO until the Association of Water Technologies had their conference in Canada last year, and I got to meet John Mullen. He was a speaker. He also came on this podcast on 294, and he really opened my eyes with all the things that IATMO does and all of the synergies that we have, not only with the Association of Water Technologies, but with the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So since that time, he's introduced me to many people throughout IAPMO, and I got to meet Christoph through John. Talk about great people and talk about great programs, too. They are the ones that are doing the ASSE 12,080 course. Uh, they work with Janet Stout. That was a course that we talked about during the interview. And in the beginning of the podcast, we talked about getting the Certified Water Technologist designation. Well, maybe that's a longer-term goal because it takes you five years of experience to get that. Maybe something that you can do is get a designation like the ASSE 12,080, and there's so many ways that you can get that, but one of those is working with IATMO and taking one of those courses. So I urge you that you are always looking at your professional development and trying to ascertain how do you make tomorrow better than today? And when you look at your career that way, when you look at your life that way, things just get better. I've never been happy with standing still, but when I'm moving forward and I know I'm getting things like certain designations, that's kind of proof that I'm moving forward and it's always helped my confidence and it's always made me not only a better industrial water treater, but also a better fill in the blank, whether that's a salesperson, whether that's a committee member, whatever it is, that extra knowledge now helps me with whatever I am doing. And it's my hope that that's the same attitude that you take. Now, if you want to look at some of these designations, you can go to our show notes page and we will have uh, several of them listed for you. And if you sign up for something, now, if you sign up for the CWT course, we're going to know about it because we actually put that on. But if you sign up for something else, I'd love to know about it. Maybe hashtag scaling up H2O in a post on your LinkedIn or wherever you are on social media and let us know that you are taking the challenges that we're putting forth on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Each and every week, I, of course, give you a challenge to let me know if you've got something you want me to talk about or a guest that you want me to interview. So you can do that by going to scalinguph2o.com and navigating over to our show ideas page. And something else that I don't talk about enough, and the great team here at Scaling Up H2O says that I need to mention it because every time I mention it, people do it. And what am I talking about? Well, that is putting a review on your favorite podcast player about this podcast. That helps us so much with not only our ratings, but pushing us up in search engines to make it easier for people to find us. And I would love it if every industrial water treater knew about this podcast. I'd love it even more if every industrial water treater listened to this podcast every single week. 
But one water treater at a time, we will get there. And something you can do to help us out with that mission is to leave a review on your favorite podcast player. So thank you in advance for that. And as a thank you gift, I will have a brand new episode for you next Friday. Until then, take care, folks. Scale Up Nation, are you getting ready to take your certified water technologist examination? Do you wish you just had a little bit of extra help to build your confidence so you can sign up for the exam? Well, Nation, I've heard you and I've got what you were asking for. I work each one of the 75 mock questions that you receive when you sign up to take your certified water technologist designation. I share with you the logic behind how I get to certain answers, and I show you how to set up each math equation. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep to get enrolled today.